0: That hope can make. So, uh, so I want to just provide us, just real quick, a definition of hope, a working definition that we'll operate off of this morning. So, this is what hope is. Hope is the alignment of your desires with your expectations. Hope is the alignment of your desires with your expectations. What that means is that there is something that you really, really want and you can fully expect that that thing that you really, really want is going to happen. That's what hope is, the alignment of your desires with your expectations. So I wanna share some, uh, some stats from psychology with you. Uh, you have people who are encountering post-traumatic stress disorder, <laughs> and they enter into therapy, into counseling. And, and what they've done is they've actually attached metrics to hope so that uh, so that when you enter into therapy, you kind of answer for your level of hope that uh, that you can see some future on the other side of this trauma uh, that you're looking forward to some future where you 're actually not having to deal with this trauma that you have, and so So those who enter into therapy uh, having post-traumatic stress disorder with a high level of hope, a high level of expectation for a future without this trauma, actually the statistics of success for those people coming through that therapy really well is really, really high. In fact, there is no greater... State of mind or, or thing to which uh, psychologists can attach this explanation to other than hope. Like, hope is the single greatest expectation that, that as, as people go into their counseling, they go into their therapy, as people facing previous trauma, if they go in with hope, it's nearly a guarantee that they will come out the other side with what we might call successful results. Maybe it's a higher level of happiness. Maybe it is a, a greater um, just welcome for, for what's ahead of them. And so you might ask the question, okay, so why is hope so significant? Why is hope so valuable? What does it do for these people who have post-traumatic stress disorder, these people who are going through therapy? Um, I'll give you two reasons. Number one, people who have hope uh, people who can see a future in front of them, people who have expectations for this thing that they desire, whatever it might be. People with hope have a greater buffer for stress. So, so people in the middle of PTSD, what they're, uh, they're struggling with is that life is still coming at them. Like life doesn't stop when you encounter some kind of trauma. And so uh, people who have hope actually have a greater buffer for stress because they can see a future beyond the things that are currently in front of them. They actually have a vision of the future. And so they, they are able to take the things that cut, come at them more readily because they have their eyes on a future that's in front of them. So they have a greater buffer for stress. The second reason is this. People with hope are actually more likely to adapt in adversity. They're more likely to adapt in adversity. So, so uh, you know, if one strategy doesn't work, you know what? I still know that, that whatever that future is, I have a high expectation that that future is in front of me, a, a future free from this trauma or whatever it might be. And so, you know what? I'm just going to try another strategy. And when that strategy doesn't work, I'm going to try another strategy. And when that one doesn't work, I'm going to try another one. I'm going to adapt to the adversity that's coming against me because I have my hope set on something in front of me. So hope... It's really, really valuable. Hope is valuable for, for getting people through things. And so you might hear me saying this and okay, so like you're saying, it's all about mindset. I just gotta have the right mindset and, and that's good. Well, if, if you know anything about hope and you know about like things in this world and all of that stuff, there is actually a problem with hope being like the mindset that we need. And, and the problem is this, not everything about our futures is guaranteed. So there are so many things in this world, in fact, that are not guaranteed to us. So, so, okay, Alex, you say hope is a good thing, but I don't have a guarantee. I don't have a guarantee. Alex, you say I need to have expectations for my good, but I actually have, like, experiences that tell me I should probably expect bad, right? So, so you might say uh, hope might be, a, you know, a good and a helpful emotion, but as I live in this world, I find it harder and harder to find things in this world to hope in. And so if that's where you're at this morning, I don't want to shame you for feeling like it. If that's not where you're at, if you're just like happy and hopeful and like excited about life, I'm glad that that's where you're at. I'm, I'm glad. But I want to talk specifically to the people right now who, who are finding themselves in that place. I'm finding it harder and harder to find things in this world to hope in. If that's where you're at this morning, I don't want to shame you for feeling that way. Because uh, this is a, actually, I think this is one of the best places to feel that way in. This is a really safe place. This is a good place to feel like that. And in fact, I'd invite you this morning, if that's where you're at, I'd invite you to listen and to engage with me. Because this morning, I actually want to tell you about a hope that Scripture tells us is unshakable. Scripture tells us is a certain guarantee that it can be absolutely relied upon there may be 1800 things in this world that cannot be relied upon but the hope that we're going to talk about this morning is actually a hope that we can trust in it is not just a firm motivation a firm mindset for us that might guide us into doing good things it is something that is guaranteed for us that's the hope that we're going to talk about this morning so there's there's something that the bible actually calls it calls it a blessed hope in the New Testament, calls it a blessed hope. And what that, that, that title, blessed hope, implies is that there is this sort of most amazing hope, this, this gift of hope that, that human beings could have, uh, and it's not some possibility off in the future. It's not some likelihood off in the future. It's not even some probability off in the future, but it is a guarantee. And this hope, it gives us a picture. It gives us uh, a picture uh, of where human desire, like human beings, the desires inside of human beings and their expectations merge. And as humans wait for this, what we're told is that, like, that desire, that expectation, it's actually going to be met. And it it becomes then a motivation for, for Christians that actually rewires them, that transforms them because they are given a future that is certain. This is the hope that Jesus, God in the flesh, is going to come back and lead the world. Jesus, God in the flesh, is going to come back and lead the world. Okay, so you might hear me say that, and you might say, okay, Alex, but that's just like a desire for religious people. You know, that's like something that religious people hope for, but that's not where I'm at. How, how might you say that that's something that I would hope for? And in fact, I would argue that inside of every single human being, is the desire for Jesus to come back because of the implications of what happens when Jesus comes back. You may not attach Jesus' name to to it, but I would guarantee to you that inside of every single human being is the desire for what happens when Jesus comes back because we all know that something is desperately wrong with our world and it needs to be made right. There's something desperately wrong with our world and it needs to be made right. So uh, some problems that we encounter in our world, Uh, people, nations fight against nations. There are wars that, that people have. That's one problem in our world. There are people going hungry in our world. Right now, in fact, there is a virus, coronavirus is breaking out. I'm sure you've heard about it. Uh, Around the world, there's a a disease that is uh, starting to take place. There are problems, so many problems in our world that are coming at us. And and here's the thing, uh, these problems don't just exist out there. They're not just problems that are out there, but but anybody who's done any amount of self-reflection in their life knows that there are problems in here too. There are problems inside of us. We're not as satisfied as we like, wish other people would think that we are, you know? Uh, we are not as happy as we would in, be inclined to put on. There, there are actual real problems in our life that cause despair inside of us. There are things that we think should bring our fulfillment, and then the more we trust those things, the more and more we find that those things don't actually bring about our fulfillment. And so so there are multiple problems, and here's the reality, uh, the The slew of self-help books that have been written over the last 30 or 40 years, uh, they have not solved this problem that we have. Uh, You know what? Money has not been able to address this problem. Money's been doing pretty good for people in the United States. Money's been going up and up and up. But but money, for some reason, doesn't have the ability to address these problems. Technology, the the technological advancements that we've had over the last years, and the hope that technology promises, the things that, that technology offers to us, technology has not been able to fix these problems that we are facing. But yet somewhere inside of every single human being is to to see this desire to see these things in ourselves, to see these things in this world set right. And the good news about Jesus this morning for us is this. Our hope this morning is not just that Jesus can set it right, but that there is a day coming in which he will fix what is broken. He will heal what is hurt he will undo the darkness that currently reigns in this world, and God will dwell with people. That's our hope this morning. So, if you have your Bibles with you, open uh, open them up to, to 2 Second Peter chapter three. 2 Peter chapter three, and uh, so this week we're finishing up our series on the fourfold gospel called. Who is this Jesus? So, uh, if you look in your bulletin, if you if you have a bulletin, you'll see four symbols: a cross, a laver, a pitcher, and a crown. Each of these symbols represent for us a different. Um, understanding of who Jesus is all of these understandings kind of align into one thing but, but they tell us a different they give us a different lens through which we see Jesus and so so back at the beginning we talked about Jesus as Savior that's the cross uh, the labor we talked about him as sanctifier as the one who changes us uh, the picture is uh, Jesus our healer uh, so we talked about how you know there's actually provision for the physical body and this week we look at the crown the crown is represented representative to us of Jesus, our coming King. And so uh, rather than just kind of introduce coming King, I'm just gonna read our passage. In fact, I just invite you to buckle in this morning. We are gonna go through this passage in total three times. So by the time that you leave here this morning, you will know 2 Peter chapter 3, verses eight through 13 very, very well, that's my hope. But uh, I'm just gonna read it uh, outright for you right now. 2 Peter chapter. 3 verses 8 through 13. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Uh, point number one in your notes this morning is this I want you to own the promise I want you to own the promise so like I said we're going to be going through this a few different times the first time through I just want to look at what the promise is that Jesus offers to us the the promise that he's coming back so that's uh, the first thing and then uh, we'll look at the implications of the promise when we go through it the second time so so verses eight and nine say do not overlook this one fact beloved what the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. So let's talk about this one day is a thousand years, thousand years is one day thing. There were people in churches, um, there was this full expectation when Christians you know, came around that they, uh, they were waiting on Jesus, and Jesus was coming back very soon. That's what, that's what they told. In fact, today, you know what? I'm gonna tell you, I believe Jesus is coming back very soon. And if he doesn't come in back 50 years, you know what I'm gonna tell you? I believe Jesus is coming back very soon because that's like the very next thing that we're waiting on. Like God, Jesus is coming back very soon. And so we keep sticking to this. We keep proclaiming this. We keep believing this. And this is what the, the churches, the early church was believing. And then some people arose and kind of said, hey, I thought you said Jesus is coming back very soon. Where's he at? Where's he at? You know, we're still kind of waiting. And there are like people today who have heard us say, heard Christians say through the centuries, hey, Jesus is coming back very soon. And they're kind of like, guys, it's been 2,000 years. Like, do you think you should change your language a little bit? (laughs) But but we continue to say Jesus is coming back very soon. It is imminent. Jesus' return is imminent. It's the next thing that we are waiting to happen, and and so there were these people who were arguing against this idea in the early church, and, and Peter, what he's doing is he's addressing that argument, and he wants to let them know, hey, just so you know, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. Time is of no matter to the Lord. He is the Lord over time, and so, uh, he will wait as long as he chooses to wait. He has a purpose in his waiting, though. So, uh, so the the first part of the promise I want to look at the different pieces of the promise. The first part of the promise is this: Jesus is coming back so uh So I would tell you this morning uh, if I, I would just like open Matthew 24 and 25 and go through the whole thing to tell you about all the things that Jesus talks about might happen, will in fact happen at his return. But what I'm gonna tell you instead is I'm gonna tell you to go home this week and just open up Matthew 24 and 25 and read about Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, this is what's gonna happen when I return. If I could summarize it all for you, the gist is this. Hey, you know what? Things for Christians, for people who follow me, they're going to get really, really bad. Um, And not just people who follow me, but things in the world will get really, really bad. There will be wars, and there will be rumors of wars, there will be earthquakes, there will be... uh, Many things will come upon the earth, and and it will kind of get more and more and more intense. And then my followers, they're going to be persecuted, and that'll get more and more and more intense. And then, like, I'm going to come back. And then he says a series of things will happen when he comes back. But I just want to talk about the idea that he is going to come back. Uh, we, we, uh, w- ways that we describe this, and people who write like theological statements, they use these three words. Uh, they, they call it personal, visible, and eminent. So when we say that Jesus is coming back and it will be a personal return, what we mean by that is like, hey, uh, you know, when uh, people like Christians started worshiping and Jesus's presence was there with them. And so, you know, in in that moment, that was when Jesus returned. It's like, or Jesus returns with us all the time when we worship together. And no, like, no, it will be personal. And the the reality that the physical Jesus is coming back to earth, it will be personal personal it will be visible which means his return is going to be very very public in fact I would like the whole world when Jesus comes back there's going to be no question there are people today who are trying to say like Jesus came back in the year like 200 or stuff like that and I want to tell you no he didn't because the whole world didn't know about it the day that Jesus comes back the whole world's going to know about it there's going to be no question as to the reality of his return and then it is imminent and I already talked about that it means like, you know, in, in just like the history of things that God has done, we are in the precipice of Jesus' return. There's nothing else that has to happen. He could come back tomorrow. He could come back in an hour. Uh, or he could come back in 100 years. He could come back in 1,000 years. That's like, but, but Jesus, Jesus' return is imminent. Okay, so why is it important that, that Jesus is coming back? It's important because Jesus is coming back to lead right? So Jesus, so this is why we call him our coming king. And I didn't use words like rule or uh, administrate because those kinds of things are, are uh, kind of distant from us, but, but Jesus is coming back to lead. And this is, a, this is important because our world currently suffers from a lack of good leadership. Our world currently suffers from a lack of good leadership. So I want to, uh, I'm going to tell you something about myself this morning. My favorite TV show of all time is The Office. Uh, I love The Office. I find it really, really enjoyable. And so you may have some things now that you think about me because I told you that, and that's fine. You're free, you're free to think those. But I love, I love The Office, um, and I want to tell you about Michael Scott because Michael Scott is the manager of The Office, and what we find with Michael Scott is that he is a very, broken person, and it's his responsibility to lead the office, so I I have a few memes up here that I want to show you, so he says, I'm not superstitious, but I am a little stitious, okay, so that's one meme for Michael Scott, another one, Uh, would, would I rather be feared or loved, easy, both, I want people to be afraid of how much they love me, (laughs) and then one more, we got one more, I want all the credit. He's talking to his boss on the phone and he says, honestly, David, I want all of the credit, but none of the blame in this situation. So this is the kind of leader that Michael Scott is. And he is the, he is the manager of his office. And, uh, and as he goes along, what kind of happens is that his brokenness as a person leaks all over the office. He is making all of these problems for people, and, and every episode is about some kind of massive problem that has come about uh, because of his leadership, and now everybody in the office is like trying to solve these problems that he has created, and, and, and they're problems that I honestly like would be really, really avoidable if he had just like a little bit more emotional intelligence. Like it, it, w- it would be okay, but no, that's not the case, and so now he's placed in charge. His brokenness leaks all over this place that he's supposed to manage, and they have to now solve all the problems that's like the picture that we get and I want to tell you that inside of you and inside of me inside of all of us is a little bit of Michael Scott um, we have been given a responsibility over creation to lead and we are very broken leaders and our brokenness leaks all over creation so Genesis 128 says this it says God bless them And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion, lead creation. That's the charge he gave to us over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. So then these people who are given responsibility to lead, they actually rebelled against God. They introduced death into creation. They introduced corruption into creation. People started murdering people. People started protecting their own territory to exclude other people out of it. People started abusing the resources that God was providing. People started going to war with each other. People did everything that they could to get rid of God's influence in the places that they were leading. And so now the promise that Jesus is coming back is a really good promise for us because Jesus is coming to bring right leadership to the world. So, so, okay, so you say Jesus is coming back to bring right leadership to the world. Well, how do I know that Jesus is a good king? I've got two reasons for you that Jesus is a good king. Number one, he is God. Like, he made it all. If anybody knows how to lead well, I'm gonna trust that he knows how to lead well because he is the one who, like, created the cosmos. But number two, the reason I know that he's a good king, the reason I know that I can trust him is because he actually, like, showed me that he wants to be with me, showed me that he wants a relationship with me by taking on himself the punishment for my corruption, my poor leadership, my lack of wanting God anywhere near me. He took on himself that punishment so that I could have a relationship with him. That's what he did. That's how I can know that he is a really good king. Okay, so Jesus is coming back to lead Uh, verse 10 says this, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So the second part of the promise this morning is this, Jesus will set everything right. Jesus will set everything right. So when it says the day of the Lord, you might ask, okay, what is that? The day of the Lord is a day in scripture. Uh, it's talked about all throughout scripture. And it's, it's honestly like a reference to the day when God was going to come and execute his judgment. So this is the, the period of time when God brings judgment against people. Now, so I give you just a picture because uh, God, you know, what he wants to do is he wants to restore creation but human beings, what they want to do is they want to keep God out of creation. Like that's their impulses to push God out. And so, uh, so what is happening then on the day of the Lord, when, when God comes, the day of the Lord is God's way of revealing his power to those who refuse to let him rule. And, and so it, it happened to Israel. Israel kind of told God when they worshiped idols, they said, God, uh, no thanks. I know you want to influence us. I know you would like to rule here, but we'd rather rule ourselves. We'd rather worship other idols. We'd rather not give you the glory that you deserve. And so uh, Israel had days of the Lord. So, uh, so the prophets told Israel about a, a day of the Lord that was coming when uh, you know, Babylon was going to come and take them into captivity. So, so Israel had days of the Lord that were fixed for them, so they, they, they refer to specific times throughout history, but then there is one great day of the Lord. When the Lord is going to come, and the Lord is, is actually going to, to execute his judgment on the world, because the world said, no thanks, we're good, stay out. We'd rather do it ourselves. So, uh, so what will that look like? Well, Peter gives us some kind of a picture. So uh, verse 10 says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up. They'll be dissolved. The, the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed and then verse 12 goes on and it says, the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. All of this, this image of fire, this image of purification, you know, whenever the scripture uses the image of fire, it's also an image of purification. It's an image of God making something holy. And what this tells us is that there is a day coming in, in which Jesus is actually going to undo the effects of, of corruption on creation. He's gonna actually undo it. He's gonna purify creation. So the corruption that we introduce through our disobedience, he is going to then purify creation. And, And that purification comes through judgment. And so you might hear me coming up here and talking about judgment and you might be inclined to think who does God think that he is to judge us? How could God do such a thing and I just like I'd like to submit to you that perhaps that's the wrong question perhaps that's the wrong question because this was God's posture towards us God God was like and is like a really generous dad so uh he created the heavens and the earth and then set us in it to rule like he gave us creation he gave us charge over creation he gave us responsibility And not only did he give us responsibility, but he gave us like resources to carry out that responsibility. He gave us instruction as to how we are to carry out that responsibility. On top of all that, he gave us a relationship. So he wasn't just distant from us, but he was there with us, showing us how to do it, being being in the midst of it with us. And And then on top of all that, like it wasn't just some sort of static environment, but it was a place full of beauty and wonder. All of these things, these are amazing gifts of God that he gave to us, and this is our pattern generally. Our pattern generally is to say, hey, you know what, thanks, Dad, but screw the responsibility that you gave me. I'll take your resources, and I'll do whatever I wanna do with it. I'll, um, I'll make gods with my hands and worship those because I'd prefer that to actually worshiping you. I'll give my affection and devotion to success and to power and to money and to status and to entertainment and to distraction. And also, you know what? Just leave me alone. I'm good. So the right question is not who does God think he is? The right question is who do we think we are. You know what? God, God is an incredibly generous, loving God. But God, he's also a just God. Like, how wrong would it be for God to let such injustice just carry on and carry on throughout creation? But here's the incredible thing. He's also really, really patient. So because he is just, there is a day coming. When God is actually going to undo corruption and human beings, Scripture tells us that human beings will have to answer to God for their deeds. So, Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15 says this It says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found. This is Jesus sitting on the throne. No place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And so then in verse 15, it wraps up this picture and what it says is if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Human beings are gonna have to answer for what they've done. So time out. You might say, okay, Alex, you said now, All humans are corrupted, which means all human beings do corrupted things. And then human beings are going to be judged according to their deeds. So therefore, like with those two realities, therefore, no one can escape this judgment, right? Well, it's not totally true because this is why Jesus, in his first coming, came to die he came to die so that judgment might be executed upon him so that every person who believes in him might not have to face God's justice, but that Jesus would face God's justice for them. And this was to us a sign of God's love for us and not his abandonment of us. It was a sign of our dad's pursuit and desire to be with us. So you know what, this morning, I get zero joy out of telling you about God's judgment. I get zero joy about that, but I get so much joy out of telling you that every person who turns their life over to Jesus, Jesus will be for them a covering in that judgment. So when God looks at those people, he does not see the deeds that they have done, but he sees the deeds that Jesus has done in his perfect life. That's what the judgment will be like for every single person who trusts and follows Jesus. Jesus will be a way of escape but he will not just be a way of escape. He will be the, the means by which we are able to cling tightly to the Father. So Peter's point is this. He's talking about judgment. He's talking about all this stuff. And, and, and part, of the pro, part of the promise of Jesus coming back is this, that there is something deeply wrong in creation and God can't just ignore it. Like he can't just set it aside. He actually has to do something about it. He has to make it right. And so, so part of the promise is that Jesus will make it right. The last part of the promise is in verse 13. It says, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So the third part of the promise this morning is this, Jesus will make everything new. So you know what? For the longest time, heaven, like as I was a kid growing up, even as I was like a teenager, heaven sounded really, really boring to me. So, like, heaven was supposed to be this promise, right? This amazing place where we get to go and be with God. But the pictures that I was given of heaven that, like, oh, like, when you die, you just kind of float up into the sky, and then you're kind of with God up there, and you're, like, playing your harp on your cloud, and you're having a good time, you know? Like, uh, that sounded awful, like, why would I want to do that? Like, life on earth was much more, like, entertaining and full of, like, joy and potential and all of this stuff. And so, so it's interesting, you know, like, I used to pray, like, God, don't take me early because I really, like, I want to go to college. Like, I want, I want to start a career, right? Like, I don't know. So, so that because of the picture of heaven that I had. And I want to tell you that picture that we've been given is actually not an accurate picture of what heaven is like. That's not the heaven of the Bible. In fact, the Bible is, is actually not even about getting people into heaven. Everybody go, oh! it's not about getting people into heaven. It's about God bringing heaven down to earth with people and everything he has to do to make that happen. That's the story of the Bible. It's about a God who comes to be with people. So our final hope is not to float up into some paradise in the clouds, but actually to see the physical ground that we stand on, to see the physical world that we live in thrive like God originally intended it. To see relationships between people that are fully healthy to see people who are living in perfect harmony with God, to see people live into their responsibilities by leading creation with Jesus. Did you all know, like, we're gonna have jobs in creation, we're gonna have responsibility in new creation. Um, The Bible actually says that we rule with Jesus, this new creation and this kingdom that he is preparing for us, like all of this stuff, we get to, to, to live into a purpose in this new creation. Now, I can't tell you exactly what everybody's purpose is going to be or exactly what it's going to look like, but it's going to be better than anything you've ever imagined. To see our physical bodies with the disease and the ailments that we face done away with. To see our constant struggle against despair. Our constant struggles against sin. To see all of these things disappear as righteousness becomes like the air we breathe becomes the water we swim in. So Revelation 21, one through four, this is what it says about this new creation. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. So if I could articulate this hope that we have simply and say it like this, Jesus will return to set right restore everything Jesus will return to set right and restore everything so as I was preparing this sermon can I just tell you like one um, burden that was on my heart Um, one thing that I became aware of even in myself I think far like not all that often um, we are not moved by this promise I, I don't actually know that it does anything to us. Uh, and I, like, I could posit a, a number of responsibilities, but here's what I do know. Like the New Testament church, this was like the motivating thing for them. This was like the core, like, yes, like Jesus was at the center. Worshiping Jesus was at the center, but this was the thing that they were headed towards. And there was no question. It was always in front of them. It was always their full expectation. But, you know, over the last 2,000 years, I feel like that this, uh, this promise has lost its meaning to us. And I wonder, uh, maybe partially, if that's because we've become comfortable, um, you know, especially in America. There are a lot of other things that that we can do with our time, a lot of other privileges that we have that many other people don't have. And I I think, and I wonder if we have found our satisfaction elsewhere and we're just really happy that Jesus gives us a place to go when we die. Like we've found the things that we need, every resource that we need in this world. So, so Jesus, the only thing that we need you for is that you give us a place to go when we die. Um, but we're not actually looking forward to this future as a hope because you know what? We're pretty happy with what we have right now. So we're getting actually ready to talk about implications of this promise. But beforehand, I want to ask, I want to ask myself, I want to ask you, why? doesn't this move us why doesn't it move us I can't answer that question for you but what I will say for myself is this often I lose sight of it because my heart is worshiping something else like there's a false idol in my heart there's something that my affections are directed towards and because of that my heart gets drawn away from Jesus so Christians, this morning I'd ask you, what idol is stopping you from looking forward expectantly to Jesus? And, and like I said, I can't, like you need to take some time of personal reflection probably. If this is like, if this is not just like ever in front of you or if, if you can see a way in which it might be more in front of you and in which it might be a bigger expectation for you, if you can see any of that, I just invite you sometime this week, do some personal reflection. Figure out what it is in your heart that's stopping you from this being the hope and the expectation of your life. Because the reality has implications to it. There are, there are actually now, because of our expectation, there are expectations that we are called to. It, and so that's what I want to talk about now, finally. Uh, step into your calling. So, uh, so verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach Repentance. So uh, let's figure out a really easy way to articulate this. So we'll say it like this. God is waiting for us to finish the job that he sent us for. So go make disciples. When it says God is patient towards you, it's interesting. So, so he wants everybody to reach repentance. He's waiting for people who have not yet reached repentance to reach repentance. But he doesn't say, I'm patient towards them. He says, I'm patient towards you. That's really interesting to me. He's talking to Christians. He's saying, Christians, I'm, I'm patient towards you. Why is he saying that if he's waiting on them to reach repentance? And you know why? It's because they're not going to reach repentance if you don't go and tell them about a God who loves them. If you don't go and make disciples, they are not going to reach repentance. And so God is waiting for us to finish the job that he sent us for. He gave the church a responsibility. Go. Go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So you know what? God, he's waiting for us to go to our neighbors, to build relationships with them, to actually love them, to get to know them, and then to share the good news with them about a God who who loves them, who wants a relationship with them, who, who has provided a way for them to move past the despair, who has provided a new hope for them, a hope and a future, a new heavens and a new earth, the promise of this. This is why Alliance Bible Church, we do crossroads. We do crossroads because we are thrilled about the opportunity to introduce kids to Jesus to give them a hope of a new heaven and a new earth and, and a world where they don't have to deal with the brokenness, but, but actually that those things can start to be undone inside of them. This is why every single week when we worship, I'm up here talking about Jesus. So if you wanna invite your friends and you're like asking the question, well, I wonder if they'll hear about Jesus this week, I promise if you bring them to church and I'm up here preaching, they're gonna hear about Jesus, right? Right? So, so, this is why we do these things, because this is what we've been called to. We've been called to go and make disciples. But, but those are the things that we do, like the, the church, the structure of the church. Those are the things that we do. But that's not enough. Because you know what? Our building is not sent. Like, the organization is not sent. Our constitution is not sent. People. People are sent. Jesus sends people. All of those things, they're just tools that we use, but we are the ones who are sent. So you know what? God is waiting for us to step across boundaries and to start actually like being missionaries to people that we don't easily understand. And I tell you, as the culture rapidly changes, it's going to be harder and harder for us to understand. And yet we're still called to be missionaries to people to show them Jesus, to invite them to follow him, because his desire is not that any of them would perish, but that every single one of them would reach repentance. Verse 11 goes on and says this, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. So when he says holiness and godliness, there are so many different ways you can talk about holiness and godliness. And so you might look at that and say, well, hey, what does he mean there when he says that? And thankfully, he tells us exactly what he means in the words immediately following it. He says holiness and godliness. Exactly in this situation, what I mean is this. You are waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. So waiting for, what that means is that you are expectantly preparing. You are engaging with God's word. You are seeking if there be any false motivation in your heart. You are trying to understand what the Lord wants for you and the, and the ways that you might walk with him. You are engaging with him in prayer. You are asking him to meet the needs, the physical needs, the tangible needs of people in your church. You are caring for them. You are loving them. You're investing in the things that he called you to invest in because we are all together waiting expectantly on the return of Jesus. And then he says, hastening, hastening. It's so interesting. I never like, never, I've, I've read this passage multiple times. I've, I've preached it a few times. I've never caught this word before, hastening. It seems to imply that when we do the job we were sent to do, that it advances the timeline of when Jesus will return. Like, when we actually go and make disciples, that the more that we do that, when we actually go to the nations as they start to come into our neighborhoods, because that's what's happening in America, that's what's happening in the suburbs right now, people from all nations are coming to America, now we have an opportunity to walk across the street and knock on the door of our neighbor and go to the nation's and share the hope of Jesus with them, that as we do that, and as people come to repentance, it's like there's a timeline that's being built up. And every person who comes to Jesus, it further advances the timeline, which means that the the return of Jesus is more and more and more imminent. You know, this is core to Alliance identity. This is why we care so much about sending people around the world, especially to unreached people groups because we want all nations to hear the gospel, because we believe once all nations hear the gospel, you know, it will fill up the time and then Jesus is gonna come back. And that's the thing that we are excited about. So we send missionaries around the world, we, we do this. We live as missionaries as the nations come to our neighborhoods. So, so this is, this is, that's the implications, you know. We are hastening, we're waiting for expectantly, we're seeking holiness and we are hastening the coming of the day of God. Okay, so what? So what, I have two for you this morning. Uh, the first one is this, give to the Great Commission Fund. If you want to know like, how to put this on the ground practically, one real practical way you can do it is resource the Great Commission Fund as we send missionaries around the world. Alliance Bible Church, this, this organization, these people, like, we don't see one dime of money that you give to the Great Commission Fund. It all goes to resourcing, sending missionaries around the world, sending people to unreached people groups, sending people into really hard countries and learning how to kind of get creative about the things that they do so that they can reach people with the gospel. So give to the Great Commission Fund. Number two, play your part in restoring hope to people. So over the next year, um, you're going to hear us in the pulpit. You're going to see some strategies come from the elders uh, about how we can become a more evangelistic church how we can actually start to reach out to our neighbors, how we can start to see people and start to offer them hope. And so even in, in the so what's, uh, you're gonna hear me talk more frequently about really practical ways that we can be sharing our faith. So, so uh, I just wanna give you some steps. How, how can you play a, a part in restoring hope to people? So I want you to imagine there's a person you have an opportunity to have a conversation with and then that conversation could go something like this. So step one, I want you to ask that person questions that go below the surface. I don't want you to just ask, hey, how's it going? What's your day like? You know, oh, good. Okay, thanks. Good, good to see you. Okay, bye. No, I want you to go deep. I actually like, hey, like what's going on in your life? What's the hardest thing that you're facing right now? What are you most excited about? Like as you look at the next year of your life, what are you most excited about? all questions like that dig deep they they actually cause people to to think beyond okay i have to operate at a surface level it they cause them to evaluate what's going on in their heart and then as they do that step two listen to them empathize with them you know too many times so many times christians were so excited about like getting the next word in making sure that we have to say the right thing and and, you know it's really important just to be present with people to listen to them to hear hear where they're coming from so listen and empathize let them know like Oh, like let, give them reflective words to let them know that you understand what they're saying and then I invite you to ask this question you ever wonder how God fits into that that's a really harmless question it's a really harmless question atheists can answer this question and if they have an answer for you that's good like yeah whatever but it's, it's a harmless question you ever wonder how God fits into that and, and they may or may not reflect on that some more, but, but at the very least, you're getting, it's going to cause them to think. And, and then as they process, and this might all happen in one conversation, it might happen over the course of several conversations, but, but then at some point, offer them the hope of Jesus. Offer them the hope of Jesus. That could look several different ways. It could look like this. It could look like telling them, you know what, I go to church, maybe you'd like to come with me. I go to church, maybe you'd like to come with me. So here's, here's what you need to know. Uh, your job is not done once you invite them to church. Like you are the relational connection for that person coming to church. And now you have to follow up with them. Like after, maybe they've come like uh, one week, maybe they've come a couple of weeks, maybe they've been here for two months, but at some point, like I, you, you take them to coffee. Talk about what they're processing because there's gonna be an opportunity for you to share Jesus with them. So, so hear how they're processing. Uh, so, so and, um, yeah, just don't, don't say, okay, now that I brought them to church, pastors going to proclaim the gospel. And then if they don't believe, then I guess they're, you know, don't, don't process like that. It's uh, You take responsibility for that person that you brought. Um, so that's one way you could do it. Maybe uh, you could offer the hope of Jesus like this. You can just say to them, hey, this is how I've seen Jesus show up in my life. You know, I know I see what you're facing. I understand what you're saying. This is how Jesus has shown up in situations like that for me. Uh, maybe you could tell them something like this hey, if you let him, Jesus can offer hope to your situation. And then you share the gospel with them, you share the, the hope of a, a Jesus who loves them. So uh, finally, I'd encourage you to do this pray before, during, and after. Before you enter into that conversation, be praying. Holy Spirit, give me the right words to to see how you might want me to speak during that conversation. And the the lulls as they're talking, you're still being present with them. But but you know you, you can never predict how conversations like this are going to go. And so so you're you're just asking God to to help you understand them, to help you relate to them, to have the right words to to say. And then uh, afterwards, Lord, take something of what I I said and muddled as though it may be. And Lord, would you make an impact? Would you do something with that? Pray for them. So, so um, we're going to be talking about these kinds of things more and more and more over the course of the next year, the next two years, to see us step in to what it means to be evangelistic people in an evangelistic church. Because there are people who God desires to be with him when he restores creation. Like, We want to see our friends and neighbors. In fact, our heart should be as the heart of God, not willing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance and all should get to experience the joy of the new heavens and the new earth because that's the hope that we have. That's where our desire meets with expectation uh, and that's what we look forward to. That's the certain future that we are guaranteed. So Hebrews 12, 28. Before I pray, I'll just read this passage, Hebrews 12, 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Alliance Bible Church, would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, um, as we consider what it means that, uh, that Jesus is coming back, Or would you help to to well up a hope in our hearts that is unshakable? Lord, we, um, we so often can get our hearts set on other things. And so Lord, if there's idolatry to root up, would you uproot that inside of us? Lord, would you give us clarity of focus as to the responsibility that you've called us to? And would you help us to see here at this church and, and through the work of the people in this church, would you help us to see people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus? People come into relationship with you, people who can share that hope with us of the future that we have been promised. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand. And I'm going to read, for our benediction, I'm going to read Revelation 21, 1 through 4, one more time. This is what it says. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Alliance Bible Church, it has been a pleasure, a joy to worship with you this morning. I invite you to go partake in the mission to make disciples. Thank you. We'll be back in